You're listening to The Voyager in association with Turkish Airlines on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to The Voyager here on Monocle 24. Monocle's travel show spotlighting outposts of opportunity for business, pleasure and inspiration all around the world. I'm Steve Bloomfield. This week we're in Muscat, where your host is Monocle's Christopher Lord. I'm walking through a very quiet residential back street in the Mutra district of Muscat, capital of Oman. The streets are incredibly narrow, there's a tangle of electrical wires above my head, and there's a few rather mean-looking cats lolling about in the alleyways. I'm Christopher Lord, and I'm looking for ice cream. Somewhere in this warren of back streets is a tiny kiosk that's been serving a local Omani recipe of ice cream called Rababi for as long as anyone can remember. See, this is what I love most about Oman. The royal yacht belonging to its ruler, Sultan Qaboos al-Said, may be docked just at the end of this street on its famous corniche. But here I am in a tiny back street with the sound of activity behind its high walls. I didn't have much luck finding Rababi. So I'm going to check in with Huda Abdul Sahib. She founded Ice Cream Mama to revive a very Omani treat. And there are now five branches open around the city serving this very old recipe. The ice cream was found in two flavors. Um, the original flavor, which is made of rose water, um, milk, a um, bit of sugar, and um, some ingredients that I can't reveal <laughs> because we had modifi- modified it to make the texture more creamy. And uh, the lemon flavor, which is um, the yogurt being salted with water and frozen. Then we developed two years, we spent two years to develop different flavors. So we had, you know, some modern flavors like marshmallows, Oreo, whatever. And then we have the old, um, the, the flavors of the, the, the traditional stuff like Omani Halwa, um, Omani dates, chai karak, I don't know if you know chai karak, so these kind of flavors. And uh, the, the public love it. See, the thing is we didn't come up with a new, completely new concept. What we did is we gave life to the concept that was about to die. Huda Abdul Sahib of Ice Cream Mama. I'm back in Al Mutra and I'm on its famous corniche now, where there's a real sign of the Sultanate's efforts to diversify this economy. Looking across to the Arabian Sea, there's a new fish souk designed by Snoheta and Buru Hapald that's under construction and will one day have an exterior like fish scales. As much a public plaza as a fish market, the hope is that one day this will draw more tourists to Al-Mutra as a souk represents a first step in a major development of this corniche. There are plans to turn Port Sultan Qaboos into a retail, hospitality and residential centre modelled on Cape Town's V&A waterfront. With all the cargo moved along the coast last year, the project is now underway on the old port area, thankfully all in phases, with the first to be delivered by 2020. It's planned as an extension to Almutra's historic Corniche, and as a sign perhaps of things to come, drop into Beit al-Luban on the Corniche. They serve real Omani cuisine in a restored family home with views to the new port. I dropped into the kitchen where the chef told me about their signature shua. 
Shua is an Amani way of barbecuing meat. We wrap the meat in a bag made of palm leaves and fill it with spices and garlic, as well as a prickly pear and vinegar. The meat is then cooked in a dug barbecue pit loaded with charcoal. Then it's left for a day or two before serving. There are certainly some big blueprints being drawn up for Muscat's future. But the character of this skyline has always stood in some contrast to its faster and flashier neighbours in the Gulf. That's all down, I think, to the strict building regulations here, made by royal decree. Everywhere you look, the tempo is low-rise, uniformly white or sand-coloured, and it's this that gives the city its human scale and pleasantly uniform appearance. Someone who knows that best is Nadia Al-Makbul Al-Lawati, founding partner of the Muscat-based architecture practice 23 Degrees North. Yes, I mean, uh, Muscat is going through a huge growth, uh, obviously in response to the population growth. I think the city is really expanding. The city is really, in a way, sprawling out uh, towards a Seab area. You know, that, that's becoming a new hub. I don't know if you know where the airport is, that kind of area. When I was a child, the center was very much, you know, where we are at the moment, Qurom, MSQ. So it's really interesting to see how the city is moving in between the mountains and uh, the ocean. One of the things that a lot of people immediately notice about Muscat when they arrive here is the fact that you know there's a certain uniformity of the of the colour, of size, of scale, and so on. Obviously, that's imp- that's imposed from the top down. As you find that um, is that challenging? Is that something to be worked with? How do you approach that constraint essentially within your work here as architect? I mean, you know, I, I don't really see it as a constraint. I worked in London and the building regulations there compared to the building regulations here. I mean, I have, I have no right to com- complain at all about restrictions here in Muscat. Um, growing up, I always uh, knew that Muscat had a very uniform, had a very respectful appearance. The mountains always took dominance. And I think I really respect that as an architect and as a resident of the city. And um, as a contributor to the built environment here, I would never do things differently. But um, we have always, since setting up practice, we have always had a very good relationship with the authorities because we've been very engaging with them. You know, the, the authorities and the regulations and the guidelines that exist at the moment were created in the 1970s when the construction boom happened. And, you know, a lot of architects in those days were imported from the outside. You know, they, they came and they didn't really know how to how to really interpret, how to really read the landscape, and therefore there was a need for these regulations. But now I think is the time when Omanis are starting to take these roles. Nadia Al-Makbul of Muscat's 23 Degrees North. In a moment, we're going to take a short break. But before we do, here's a quick word from Shadda Abbas. If you're passing through Muscat, pick up something by her brand, The Nedged. These handmade soaps take advantage of Oman's natural bounty, frankincense. The Nejd is um, is one of uh, it's a UNESCO site as well um, heritage, heritage site because of the fact of the quality of the frankincense that is found there. Um, the Baswali Sacre is the is the species that we have here in Oman, and uh, compared to the other species, it's the one with the most uh, medicinal benefits. Tell me a bit about the smell of frankincense. What what does when you smell it? I mean, it's got this extraordinarily rich smell to it, especially Omani frankincense. What can you tell me a bit about what it conjures for you when you smell it? Well, um, it's nice because uh, you know the smell uh, for a lot of people. It, it it's used for. I mean, in Oman traditionally, it's used to cover up the smell of fish after you're done cooking, or you know when you. So uh, that's what we use it for. We use it just to burn it. So uh, it's very nice that a smell can actually take you back and uh, and make you, you know, come up with all these great memories that you've had hidden. <laughs> Pack your bags, 
Get ready for takeoff and let Turkish Airlines take you on a journey to more than 270 destinations in over 100 countries around the world, including Muscat. Turkish flies there daily. With a fleet of more than 285 state-of-the-art aircraft, no destination is too far. Turkish Airlines, widen your world. Now, while the likes of Dubai were busy building five-star hotels en masse, Oman has shown a little of its characteristic reserve. But if you drive through Muscat today, there are cranes in construction taking place on this usually sedate skyline, with a number of familiar names like W and the Westin opening their doors over the next few years. It's not vital to know Arabic for getting around Muscat, but it's certainly polite, and it can often help to knock a few rials off a taxi ride. One of the things that's striking about Oman is that when you get in a taxi, it's usually driven by an Omani. It makes quite a difference, especially compared to some of Oman's neighbours in the GCC. I'm on my way to the National Hospitality Institute. As all these new hotels are springing up around the city, the Institute is readying Oman's workforce. Our industry is not always the easiest trade to get into. Rob McLean is the principal at Muscat's National Hospitality Institute. There are still some cultural issues we have to get over, but it is improving and you will see and you are seeing more and more Omanis now getting involved in the industry. It's growing, there are jobs available, there's not so many jobs available now in the public sector, so therefore private sector, particularly travel and tourism, is, uh, is a good option. And it's spreading through the region, so Omanis who come from specific areas can actually still work quite close to home. Rather than traditionally always having to come to Muscat for everything, there are, you know, the spread is going on down in Salala, Musandam, Masana, uh, Jebel Akhtar, example. So there are trainees now finding work closer to home. I mean, I came driving through the town yesterday, you see all these new hotels being built here. I mean, is there really a sense that there's a hospitality boom happening here in Muscat? I think there is, yeah. I mean, we, we're seeing more of what I call bricks and mortar uh, hotels uh, in Muscat now than we've seen for, for uh, several years. Um, and it's just, it is seen as a, a good tourist destination. The government have invested a lot of money in infrastructure. You've seen the roads and the, the new airports coming, etc. So they do see this as real potential for them as a diversification for them the oil for the next few years. Um, one of the things looking around the Institute that I noticed is it's incredibly hands-on. Why is that important for you to have a, very much a hands-on institution here? Well, we're here to train and represent for the hospitality industry, and that's what the industry is about. It's hands-on, it's doing work, it's dealing with customers, dealing with challenges, etc. So we would not be doing, we would not be fair to the students if we did it in any other way. We have to prepare them for work. Rob leads me past classrooms where students in sharp black uniforms are getting lessons in everything from being a butler or a bellboy to how to manage an entire hotel. 80% of the students here are Omani and the government funds trainees. In the kitchen, in a rather fetching chef's hat rather than the ubiquitous headscarf of Omani national dress, I meet head chef and instructor Haroon. Now actually it's um, not Omani dishes, it's like from a uh, continental dish, lamb stick with a sauté of vegetables. So we're going to just uh, grill it and make a sauté potato. Uh, one of the things here that Rob always says is talking about sort of hands-on work, you know, the, actually getting, his, getting your hands into the work that you're doing. Do you think that's important to the training here? Yes, that's very important for students. So they, when they, they, they look at me, I'm, Oman is working here, so they, they understand 
Oh, there's a Romani chef working in this place. So they're happy, they're looking for Romani chefs. I know someone to teaching them to how to be a chef. Back in the centre of town now, and another source of much national pride. I'm outside the Royal Opera House in the centre of Muscat and you can certainly hear the sounds of the bagpipist warming up for the concert that's due tomorrow night. We're all outside in the central courtyard and the Oman military is wheeling in every kind of instrument you can imagine. There's drums being brought past me, tubers, uh, as well as all manner of drums, cymbals and even some steel drums in there as well. The bagpipes have a rather special place in the military band. Sultan Caboose once had Savile Row's Dejan Skinner cut uniforms for the Royal Camel Pipe Band. I'm going to step away from this display of musical muscle for a moment and duck into the Opera House itself. The Royal Opera House Muscat opened in 2011, a private passion of the Sultan. It looks more like a palace than an opera house, with local craftsmen used to create the exquisite wooden interiors. It's also a masterpiece of sound design too, and to show me around the backstage is Don Cox, Head of Lighting at the Opera House. Um, the acoustics here is second to none. If you can imagine St Paul's Cathedral in, uh, in, in London, when you whisper, you have the whispering gallery, we've got the same effect here. We're still downstage centre, and if you stand right at the furthest back on the highest point of the auditorium, you can hear exactly what we're saying, as clear as day. We also have hidden panels, there's hidden um, sound panels behind each wall with secret curtains, and these secret curtains allow us to tune the auditorium so the acoustics are exactly right, depending on what type of orchestra we have. And then we also have sound um, organ reverb chambers on the outer uh, downstage edges of the, of the auditorium so we could tune the, the organ sound so it reverbs around the whole auditorium. It's, it's first class. I'm back in the courtyard of the Opera House now, and it thankfully isn't all militaristic pop. Whenever I'm in Muscat, I always make time to pull up a chair at the long pool bar at the Chedi. This hotel is something of a Muscat institution and sets the bar high for all the newcomers. They also mix a rather decent cocktail around here too. There's certainly change of foot in this city that I'd long thought of as a peaceful, somewhat sleepy respite from the Gulf's frenetic development. But there's a certain DNA to Muscat that should safeguard its distinctive ambience. It's all down to an emphasis on the locale, whether that's in the value of a local welcome, the natural hue of the landscape, or building a hotel that doesn't dwarf the pristine beach around it. It's all charmingly understated something that this city does rather well. For Monocle in Muscat, I'm Christopher Lord. And that's all for this week's edition of The Voyager. My thanks to Christopher Lord in Muscat and Toby Hammond here in London. Next week, we're in Shanghai. I hope you can join us then. I'm Steve Bloomfield. Until we board The Voyager again, happy travels. <laughs>